You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. The title of my sermon is, uh, What is Your Bottom Line? And this is actually kind of my main uh, thesis also. You know, your bottom line, um, this, the origin of this phrase is in any financial statement, um, there are lines and lines that show your expenses, right? That show all these different costs and all these different things. But what people usually do is that when they see a financial statement is that they kind of skip all that stuff. And they go to the very end because the very end is actually what is most important. Because the bottom line of that financial statement is where your final net profit or where your final net loss for the company is. And so what this word has kind of evolved is to say, what is your most important thing? What is the most essential part? One thing that you cannot do without. What is your bottom line? You know, when I was in college, um, I began attending a church, and it was in California, and, and something happened there that confused me so much. Uh, my pastor at that time, he was awesome. He was born and raised in San Diego, um, and every Monday, him and his wife would go on surfing dates, which I thought was, was so cool. Um, at that time, he had a 12-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter named Daisy. I was attending church, and... I remember one Sunday, though, something was off. Something just, something wasn't right. Um, the pastor, he came up to speak, and you could tell that he was struggling. And he said, uh, last Monday, Daisy, she fainted to school. Uh, she fainted when she was at school. And so we went over there, and we took her to the hospital, and we found out that she had a tumor in her stomach that was taking up more than half of her stomach cavity. He asked that we would pray for her, that God would heal her miraculously. He said that let's pray that something would happen so that the people, that this community would know that it is not through our strength, it is through God's strength. Let's pray that a miracle would happen and that something would change. And so our, our church, we prayed and we fasted and we, we were crying out to the Lord. And believe it or not, a miracle happened, and she was healed of cancer. She went through chemotherapy. She went through all of those things, and, and she found out that she had no more cancer. It was the biggest praise report. A little while later, they went on vacation, and on vacation, she, her stomach started to hurt again. And so they took her to the hospital, and they found out that the tumor had come back. And so one more time, we, through our church, we prayed, and we gave, and we we prayed and prayed, and through chemotherapy, she was healed again. Praise God. A little while later, she started to feel sick again, and she went to the hospital, and they found out that the tumor hadn't just come back. It had spread all over her body. And it was to the point where um, she was to the point where it, she had to go through chemotherapy. She went through all these different things, but at the end of the day, she ended up passing away. 
Four years after she was diagnosed, Daisy went to be with the Lord. And for me, I was able to see firsthand the absolute joy, but also the terrible pain that my pastor's family went through. I said before that there was something that confused me. And it wasn't the, the tumor, it wasn't the cancer. What confused me was actually the memorial service. Because my pastor, he came up and he was talking about Daisy's life. And he said, even in this, I have joy. He just said that. He said, even in this, I have joy. And that phrase stuck in my mind. And I couldn't get it out. Because I knew for this man, and I saw from his face, and I saw from his eyes, and I saw from the way he acted that he really did have joy. That even though he was giving the eulogy for his eight-year-old daughter, that he was still joyful, that he was still content. And for me, at that time, I could not wrap my head around that. How could he be joyful in such a terrible situation? How could that work? I just didn't understand. You know, this, this problem of evil was one of my biggest struggles in becoming a Christian. I became a Christian when I was in college. And this one idea here had plagued me for so long and has stopped me for so long in, in really committing my life to Jesus. Because for Christians, you see, the problem of evil is actually much more difficult to understand than for non-Christians. Now I'm going to tell you why. My parents, they're pastors. I've grown up in the church. I've seen countless people sacrifice everything for the kingdom of God. I've seen people give up their stability. I've seen people give up everything, their jobs, their wealth. I've seen people give up their time. I've seen people give up their pride just so that they can go to a different country and serve and care for the people there. And yet, so many times, it seems like God just doesn't care about it. It seems like it's those people that actually get the worst end of the stick. It seems like those people who care the most and who serve the most are the ones who face the biggest injustice. And for me, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. I just didn't understand why that would happen. Why would God allow that to happen if he's real? Even within the past few months, China's government has raided and shut down three of the country's biggest underground churches and arrested their pastors. Why would God do this? In the midst of one of the biggest revivals in China's history, why would God allow bad things to happen to the people that are serving him? And this was why I had such a difficult time with Christianity. Because when I was in college, I was at a crossroads. I knew that if I said I don't believe in God, then this problem of evil stops becoming a problem. Because for me, if, if this is all there is, if, if the minute I am awake and the, and the moment I die, if that's all there is, then we're just here by accident. And you know what? The world is exactly the way it should be, right? There's no moral good or moral bad. Everything exactly the way it should be. So that would just clear my conscience. 
You know what? If, you're, if things are evil, then things are evil. It should, be, it should be that way. If things are good, then you know what? Whatever. I felt like at that moment, maybe I could just flip a switch and I could just believe that. And that's what I didn't understand about Christians. And it's what confused me during this memorial service. It confused me and it, it intrigued me because I couldn't stop thinking about it. How can someone who believes in God still have this unshakable joy even in the midst of their most difficult time? You know, the, the church in Philippi, they were confused as well. They were discouraged. Why was the church discouraged? It's because Paul, he was in prison when he was writing this letter. I think we forget this sometimes, but Paul, he was, he was a leader among leaders. He was the greatest evangelist of that time. I mean, his, his educational background combined with his charisma and God-given abilities helped him just to go into any city, begin preaching from the street, begin debating other people, and people would listen. They would be angry at what he's saying but something would click in their hearts and they would begin to convert. And people, one, two, three, ten, one hundred, thousands of people would begin converting because of what Paul said. And a church would form. And he would go to another place, do the exact same thing. And a church would form, city after city after city. And yet the Philippians they are confused and they're upset because he's in jail. Why would God allow Paul to be in jail? In the very climax, in the very point of his career where he can do the most, why is he put in prison? Why is this man who God had appointed, who God had chosen, who was doing so much for the kingdom, why was he in jail? Why would God allow this to happen? You see, the, the church was confused. And yet, and yet, Paul was happy. And he wasn't just happy, he was joyful. In verse 19 it says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why was Paul happy? You know, I think when you first read this verse, it sounds like Paul is saying, through God's help, because I believe in Jesus Christ, he is going to help me escape prison. He is going to deliver me from prison. But it's strange, because when you read a couple lines down in verse 21, it says, you know what, if I live, that's great. But you know what, if I die, that's great too. And so it's this weird paradox, this weird oxymoron. Why would, why would Paul say one thing and yet a couple lines later say something completely opposite? You know, it's interesting because there's one other place that uses this line of this situation will turn out for my deliverance. Scholars actually have said that Paul is, is quoting from this, from this Old Testament scripture. And it's in the book of Job chapter 13. And for a lot of us, we know the story of Job. We know that God had taken everything away from this man, that he was the most faithful in the world at that time, and yet God, he took everything. 
He took his money, his family. He took his livestock. He took his health. And yet, in the midst of it all, Job says, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Job, he didn't know that this was a test. And even if he knew that his health and his money would return, he had already lost so much. But why would he still be able to say, this will turn out for my deliverance? You see, the deliverance Paul is talking about is not deliverance from his circumstances. It's a deliverance from the inside. This word deliverance in the Greek is actually translated to salvation in other parts of the Bible. But we know Paul is already saved. And what he's saying is that what's happening to him is actually making him more holy. What's happening to him, to him is actually making him one step closer to God. This is what the deliverance means. So you see, God, he uses our circumstances. He uses our problems to deliver us from what's inside of us. The fear, the guilt, the sin that is in our lives, God is able to transform those things, bring us closer to him, to make us more holy through the difficult situations in our lives. He is shaping us to be more like him. He is making us more patient. He is making us more loving. He is making us more kind through the difficulties. He is delivering us from our fear and from our guilt. This perspective, this idea is so important, brothers and sisters. You know, Gary Kelly, he wrote a book called The One Thing, where he says, what you focus on and what you think about is actually more important than you realize. And he says the reason is because we are so singularly focused in how we process and how we think. And he says if you're thinking about the wrong things, if you're thinking about something different, then you're actually sacrificing the mental space that should be going towards what's good. He said there's always a sacrifice that's being made. So your perspective is important, and yet that's not the end, and that's not what Paul is saying here. Because if I said, if this, if this was the end of the sermon, and I said, you know what, your perspective is, is what's important, your perspective is what you need, there are a thousand self-help books that will say the exact same thing. But that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Paul is saying. He doesn't end it there. Because I know Christians, I know a lot of people who confess with their mouths saying, you know what, Jesus Christ is Lord, he is king of my life, and yet when tragedy comes, when bad things happen, they turn away from church. They turn away from God. They freeze up. They don't become more stable. They don't grow more. They end up turning away from the Lord. And so why would this happen? Even if their perspective may be right, then what happens? I grew up around Christians, and I've seen these types of things happen. And that's why when I saw my pastor in the, in the moment of his, in that moment where it was the hardest point of his life, and yet he was still able to say, I have joy in this. And I could see from the way he spoke, I could see from his life that he meant it. It blew me away. And the reason why is this. 
And Paul, he tells us this secret. He tells us the key. He says, I am able to endure. I am able to have joy in my hardships because I know what my bottom line is. This verse is 21. It says, I am able to endure and continue to have joy because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's bottom line, his most foundational part of his belief is that his life is based on Jesus Christ. This is what is most important to him. Even if everything else is taken away, he is able to live because of this one thing. My church, what is your bottom line? Is it your job? Is it your career? Are you living in this world in order to make money so you can enjoy the pleasures of this life? And if you take away your pleasure, are you taking away your life? Or is it your control? Is it being able to have pride? Is it your ego? Is it those things that people respect you for? My bottom line is my pride, and if you take that away, then you are taking away my life. Is that who you are? You know, Roy Raymond, he was a businessman in the 1970s. He opened a store that sold lingerie because he was always embarrassed to buy things for his wife in department stores. After five years, he sold his store called Victoria's Secret for $1 million. Less than 10 years after that, the company was worth over $1 billion. A little after that, Roy Raymond, he kills himself by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Why does he kill himself? Because for him, money was everything. It was his bottom line. And when he saw his failure and he saw the company's success, he had to make a decision. Look, church, I don't know what your bottom line is. But I do know that there, in, this, in 2019, you will have unbelievable highs. I am praying that for you. I believe that will happen. But I also believe and I also know that there will be terrible lows that happen. Something will happen there, a tragedy will strike, and you will have to make a decision. Because every tragedy, every difficult circumstance is going straight after your bottom line. Every hard thing that happens is attacking your bottom line, and it will do everything possible to shake it. It will do everything possible to uncenter you, to make you move. And when it comes after it, when tragedy comes after it, you will either have to change your bottom line or you will die. And now for me, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm trying to be realistic. Because, look, there's everyone here that has a bottom line. You have a bottom line whether you believe it or not. There is something in, you, in your life that you hold above everything else. And you can do all the positive thinking you want. You can do your best to change your habits. But there will be nothing that can prepare you for tragedy. There will be nothing in your life that will prepare you for that one moment, for that one phone call, for that one thing that you see. 
And that one thing will do everything possible to shake the very foundations of who you are. It will reevaluate everything about yourself. You will have to check the very center of your life. And the only way you will ever overcome this, the only way you will ever endure, and the only way you will ever grow is to know what your bottom line is. Paul, he says here that there is only one bottom line that stays forever. There is only one bottom line that will not shake in times of trouble. There is only one foundation. There is only one center that no matter what happens in your life will stay constant. 2019 will be up and down, but you will stay constant if you have this, if you have what is essential. Your whole life can fall apart, but if you have this one thing, this bottom line, then you'll be fine. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look, if your life is falling apart because your job is falling apart, then your problem isn't your circumstance, it's your bottom line. Do you see that? If your life is over because your job is over, if your life is over because your marriage is over, then your job is your life. Then your marriage is your life. What is your bottom line? What is your life? See, Paul, he, he loved the people. This is, I said, one of the most personal letters that you can find. He is writing to his friends. He is writing to people that have supported him, that have loved him. He loves this church. He loves his friends. But they are not his life. They are not his bottom line. That is why he, even in prison, even facing death, he is able to have joy. He is able to say, yes, it's okay. Things are going to be fine. You can take away everything else, but I will be fine. My bottom line is not anything in this world. Look, your family is good and they're important, but what happens if they pass away? Your job and your passion are good, but what happens if they go away? What happens if you get fired? What happens if it goes? What happens if something happens? If your life falls apart because of your circumstances, it's because your circumstances are your life. Your problem is not your difficulty. Your problem is not your tragedy. Your problem is not going to be the bad things that happen in your life. Your problem is your bottom line. What is your bottom line? Look, the only way that you'll, be able, you'll ever be able to change your very foundation, the only way that you'll be able to change your life, the only way you'll be able to change that bottom line is to look at what Jesus Christ did for you. And this is what Paul constantly tells the church. This is what Paul is constantly telling us. Remember what he did for us. Remember what he's done for you. He gave up everything. He gave up his ego. He gave up his dignity. He gave up his pride. He gave up his throne so that he could come down to earth. 
and die on the cross for our sins, nailed on the cross by the people he came to save. He died for us, and and that is the only way that you will ever be able to change your bottom line, is to remember this. And so for us, man, brothers and sisters, I pray that you would have the overall theme of this book of Philippians, that's to have joy. That is to have joy in all circumstances. That is to have joy in all things, even in the good and even in the bad. And the reason why you're able to have joy is because you know what your bottom line is. You know what your essential thing is. And that is Jesus Christ. Because to live is Christ. But you want to die is gain. So what is it for you? What is it? Let's pray. My church, I want to ask you to reflect and think. 2019 is here, and you will go through so many things. But you have to know what your bottom line is. If your life is falling apart because something in your life is falling apart, then that thing is your life. That thing is your bottom line. That thing is your essential thing that you cannot give up. And yet Paul, he is able to endure all things. Yet Job is able to endure even the worst situations. Because they know what is most essential. They know what their bottom line is. And so right now, I'd like for you just to simply reflect and think. God, is, is, are you really my bottom line? Jesus, are you really my most essential thing? Even in the face of tragedy, will I turn to you? Even in the midst of the most difficult things, will I still have joy? Will I still be at peace? If the answer is no, then I want you to think and reflect and pray to the Lord. Go before him and ask and seek. When else will you be able to do this? Ask now and focus and pray to the Lord. He is waiting to hear from you. Let's pray.